Isn't that beautiful? Thank you, ladies, so much. And how true that is. God loves people more than anything. Did you see the newspaper on Valentine's Day? I just tore out four of the pages in there of these personal love notes that people put in the paper, hundreds of them. Look at that. C.P. Snow, the philosopher, said that if someone came along and said the world was going to end in five minutes, everybody would be running trying to find a telephone to call somebody to tell them what? I love you. That's right. God's been trying to do it from before the foundation of the world. More than anything else in the world, he wants us to know that he loves us. That's why he created us. He created us in his own image. His own image is Trinitarian. Our Trinitarian God, Father, Son, and Spirit had a meeting. God called a meeting of himself. And he said, why don't we create a world? And why don't we create people in our image and in our likeness? And the scripture says that's what he did. The scripture says, let us, plural, make God in our image and in our likeness. We were created for relationship with God. He wants to love us. And so he started out a very basic premise that you put a person in a perfect world, the Garden of Eden, then they're going to live a perfect life. In an atmosphere of perfection, he placed Adam and Eve. And you know what happened. Adam finally decided that he and Eve knew better than God. And they wanted to run the show rather than let God run the show. And so they disobeyed him. They were unfaithful to him. And God came looking for Adam in the cool of the evening, the Bible says. And in so many words was saying, Adam, what went wrong? What happened to you? You had a perfect world. No violence, no pain, no suffering, no death. You've introduced it into the veins of the world. A perfect society will not create a perfect person. Their sons had a squabble. Cain killed Abel. And the evil continued to progress until it got so horrible, it so engulfed the land that God engulfed the land with water and said, let's start over with Noah. So he preserved Noah and the family. The first thing after they got to dry ground, after the flood was over, what happened to Noah? He got drunk. You cannot put a person in a perfect atmosphere and in a world without trouble and difficulty and remain their hearts to, and for their hearts to remain unchanged. You cannot do it. Our hearts must be turned to God by what the lady's just saying about the power of love. So God called a meeting of himself. And they talked and they said, why don't we try another approach? Why don't we start with a man of great faith and let him have a family and out of that family of influence, let that influencing family become our ministers in the world, our, our, our ministers of uh, love and grace and peace to the world, our messengers to the world. So they found a man way off in the Ur of the Chaldees with the name of Abraham. And Abraham came by faith. He was a man of great faith, not a perfect man. You're not going to find a perfect man in the Bible except Jesus. All the heroes of the Bible have flaws like all of us do. But here came Abraham, a man of faith. And 
He had sons, Abraham, Isaac, Isaac, and then Jacob, and then Jacob, 12 sons, Joseph, one of the 12, the age of the patriarchs. Maybe that will work. Maybe this family will make a difference. Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers out of bitterness, and he was down in Egypt, and because of a providential leadership of God in his life, he was raised to the number two power in the Egyptian monarchy, and next to Pharaoh himself, he controlled all of Egypt. Philip Yancey has written a marvelous book called Disappointment with God, which I read about a month ago. And the book is really written to a friend in answer to the young man's reason for not believing in God. He said, because God is unseen, because God is silent, and because God doesn't care. He's hidden, he's silent, and he's uncaring. And so in this book by Philip Yancey, he sets about to answer the questions of that young man. And here in about five minutes, I want to cover about four or 5,000 years of biblical history. God unseeing, uncaring, absent. Look at the providential care he has provided trying to get his message of love to the world. Patriarchs, Joseph, finally Joseph died. Oh, well, you know the story how they were starving to death. And Joseph brought all of his brothers and all the family down to Egypt. And they lived wonderfully until Joseph died. And there came to the throne of Pharaoh who didn't know Egypt. And the world turned dark. And those Israelites were in slavery for 400 years. The book of Genesis ends with the story of Joseph, 400 years between Genesis and Exodus. A, per a perfect world, a perfect society, an ideal society will not create a perfect ideal person. Patriarchs cannot do it. As much faith as they may have, as much devotion as they may have, they couldn't create a perfect world either. So God called another meeting of himself. And he said, uh, we've got to do something about this situation. Why don't we get in touch with Moses? He was raised in the Pharaoh's court. He's a highly intelligent man, great ability. Oh, I know he murdered a man. But we're going to have to forgive everybody. We do forgive everybody and we'll forgive everybody if they'll just listen to us and believe us. So let's go down and talk to Moses about getting the people out of slavery. Moses was out there on the backside of nowhere, and suddenly a bush started burning, but the bush was not consumed, and God spoke to Moses out of the bush. Moses, take your shoes off. And Moses looked up, and he saw God. You read it in Exodus. He looked up, and he saw God's face, and he was so overwhelmed that he just threw his head on the ground and covered his face. God unseen, God silent. Moses, I want you to get up and I want you to go to Pharaoh and tell him I want him to turn my people loose. God not caring, he wants slaves freed. Go tell Pharaoh, let my people go. Moses said, I can't even talk good, God. 
I stutter. God said, that's okay as long as you stutter what I want you to say. And Aaron went along with him to help him. And the marvelous third chapter of Exodus 12, verse of beautiful scripture, says that Moses said, but I'm only a man. What can I do? And God said, God spoke, I will be with you. Don't you discount yourself. Don't belittle yourself. Don't underrate yourself. You and God together equals a majority. You can bring down a Pharaoh if God be with you. Well, you know the story, 10 plagues it took to break Pharaoh's will. 10 plagues. And finally, he let the people of God go. And another miracle took place, the parting of the Red Sea. God revealing himself in miracle, miracles, miracles. So now we've moved from perfection to patriarchs, now we move to power, a powerful leader and a powerful God. Is that going to work? Is that going to turn people's hearts to God? Is that going to change their attitude and their spirit? Well, they were hardly past uh, the, dead, the Red Sea into the Promised Land before they started murmuring and complaining. God began to speak to them, told them to go and camp by this mountain. Now, let me tell you what God did for them. For 40 years, they were in that wilderness. And for 40 years, their shoes never wore out. They never had to buy a pair of shoes. For 40 years, they didn't have to buy any clothes. For 40 years, they didn't have to buy any food. God fed them with manna from heaven. For 40 years, God led them specifically by a cloud, a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night to show them when to move, where to stop, where to stay, and then to move on. And the cloud by day would protect them from the hot sun on that Sinaitic Peninsula. It was an umbrella of God's protection over them. And like in the desert at night, it gets very cold. And at night, God would turn the central heat on. He gave the fire by night, the cloud by day. God unseen, God unheard, God hidden, God not caring. Look at this God doing everything he can to try to get his message of love out there to the world. He says, Moses, meet me on the mountain. Moses met him on the mountain. The mountain began to thunder and smoke, earthquake. And while God was talking to Moses up there, he said, Moses, it took ten plagues to get my people out of Egypt. I want to give you ten rules for guiding them. We got the deliverance. Now we need the direction. You're going to give the direction. Write it down. And he wrote it down. The Ten Commandments. Came down from the mountain. He'd only been gone for just a little while. Came down from the mountain. And what had happened? These people who had been the recipients of God's miracle, God's grace, God's love, God's provision, God's protection, they were worshiping idols. And that went on year after year after year. Read the book of Numbers and you will read ten rebellions on the part of God's people. Ten times they rebelled against God and against Moses and Aaron and Joshua and Caleb. Ten times they said, why did you bring us out here? Why did you do that? Ten rebellions counteracting the ten miracles of deliverance. 
Moses leads them up to the edge of the promised land, not allowed to go in. Joshua takes them in. How does God get them in? He performs another miracle. He makes the waters of the Jordan stand up so they can walk across on dry ground. They walk up to Jericho, don't have to fire a shot. The walls come falling down. God hidden, God silent, God uncaring. They're in the land. But their hearts haven't been changed. Their attitudes haven't been changed. So God calls a meeting of himself. So we've gotten a request from Samuel that uh, the folks want a king. We know it won't work. We know it won't work, but they want it. And so uh, we gave them a free will. They can make any kind of choice they want. So give them a king. Well, they selected Saul. Well, he was a one-term king. He didn't last very long. Uh, He got voted out after David killed Goliath. And... uh, David won the next election, and David was then the king. And he had a hard time uh, trying to solidify that kingdom. Now, I want you to notice what's happening here. God has condescended to set up a theocracy. And he's going to use politics and prophets to try to do it. Politics and preachers are going to get together, and they're going to create a utopia. And so David is able to unify the 12 tribes, the 10 in the north that had been loyal to Saul and the two in the south that had been loyal to him. He unified them, moved the capital from Hebron up to, up to Jerusalem, and suddenly the 12 tribes were one. A theocracy. Politics is the answer. Just vote enough laws and people's lives will be changed. Well, I want you to know power and politics are incapable of changing the human heart. You can vote all the laws in the world against murder, but you can't vote any law that will make people love each other. We can vote against prejudice, and we are against it. But you can't vote in love. That's something you've got to get under your skin with a God who puts some skin on so he could get there. Kingdom began to come apart. Theocracies always do. Always will. Don't even need to entertain that idea in our minds. It won't work. Didn't work then, never has worked, won't work now. So, and David started coming apart. He began to be unfaithful himself to God, to himself, to his family. Rebellion began to take over in the family. Absalom, his son, tried to overthrow him. Thing began to disintegrate. David died, passed the reins of leadership to Solomon. Solomon continued a, a, a life of profligacy and finally when Solomon died Jeroboam and Rehoboam became the leaders the ten tribes in the north became Israel and the two tribes in the south became Judah and it wasn't long before the Assyrians came and captured Israel the northern kingdom of ten tribes and it wasn't long 587 BC that Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians came and took the southern kingdom of Judah and they went into exile Politics and preachers won't do it. Now, let me tell you the preachers they had. They had Isaiah and Jeremiah and Amos and Hosea. There's nobody in the world is preaching like those four men preached. And they couldn't bring about peace on earth with a coalition of politics and preachers. Can't be done. There they were off in exile. A good king named Cyrus, king of Persia, let them some of the 
Folks started coming back to Jerusalem. They came back under Ezra and Nehemiah, tried to rebuild the temple, tried to get everything going again, uh, and it didn't work. And finally, the whole thing disintegrated into disaster. So, what happened? God called a meeting of himself. And Father, Son, and Spirit got together and said, what are we going to do? This is just my imagination at work. But I believe God, the Father, looked at God, the Son, and said, Son, if you want it done right, We've got to do it ourselves. We've tried everything. Perfection. Patriarchs. Power. Politics. Preachers. We've run the gamut. It's going to be done. You've got to do it. Son, you remember how Adam had to leave the Garden of Eden because of sin? Son... Are you willing to leave this garden of eternal heaven because of sin? Not yours, theirs. I believe it grew so silent in heaven you couldn't hear an angel's wings flutter. And he said, we'll go. Because we so love the world that we will give. I'll do it. My imagination again, early the next morning, an angel. Now, angels come both in physical form and in celestial form. The word means messenger. In the Old Testament, there were times when an angel would come in a visible form. Did to Abraham, to Moses, to Lot, Job, others. Or may come in a celestial form. But it's a messenger of God. That's what it means. Even angels showed up at the front door of a humble little house in Nazareth. And knocked at the door of a young Jewish virgin. And he came in. And I believe he had a big smile on his face. And he said... uh, Mary, did you know you're going to have a baby? And he will be the son of the Most High God. Of his kingdom there shall be no end. And he will save the people from their sins. Well, you know the story. He came, he taught, performed some miracles. If you ever wonder why Jesus seemed to, not seemed to, but did, encourage people who were the recipients of miracles, numerous times he'd say, don't say anything about it. Now, why was he doing that? Was it because he was not proud of it? or No, it was his compassion and love that made him do it. But you see, what he was trying to say was, look, we tried miracles and it didn't change the heart. We've done that. Didn't work. 
Uh, oh, people will follow a little while because they want a little more sensationalism. But that won't change the heart. And so listen to a conversation that takes place in the 12th chapter of Matthew, and it is key. And it's getting closer and closer to us and what God wants us to do and be. 38th verse, 12th chapter. A few religion scholars and Pharisees got on him. Teacher, we want to see your credentials. Give us some hard evidence that God is in this. How about a miracle? How about a miracle? Jesus said, you're looking for proof. But you're looking for the wrong kind. All you want is something to titillate your curiosity, satisfy your lust for miracles. The only proof, now this is Jesus speaking, the only proof you're going to get is what looks like the absence of proof. It's Jonah evidence. Like Jonah, three days and nights in the fish's belly. The Son of Man will be gone three days and nights in a deep grave. The sign, and the only sign we're going to get, is the sign not of a man going into the belly of a whale, but a God going into the belly of hell itself to save us. From our sins. Now here's the point of the story that gets very personal to me and I believe to you as well. Today, you and I are the Jonas. Everybody in this room is a Jonah. I'm not judging you, it's just human nature. We've all like Jonah, decided at one time or another that we wanted to go our way rather than God's way. We knew better than God. One way or another, we've all decided one time or another that we don't want to do this, we're going to do that. Even though we know that's not what we ought to do, we're going to do it. Everybody in this room is a Jonah who's caught the wrong boat going in the wrong direction and ended up in trouble. Some in deeper trouble than others. But there in the belly of that fish, Jonah prayed, God delivered him, deposited him on the beach of grace, and he started running for Nineveh, and he began to preach, and the whole city was changed because of one Jonah who came, and what did he say? He just said, I've come back from the dead, I was a goner, God saved me, and he'll save you, and he saved the whole city. Now, many of you are making out your... Operation Andrew card, where you're putting on there the names of people you're going to pray for for the upcoming Billy Graham crusade. People you're going to try to witness to and try to talk to and help. And when you go, remember you're a Jonah. We don't go as God. We don't speak as God. We speak for God. We're Jonah's. We're coming here to tell you, San Antonio, modern Nineveh in which we live, God will forgive you. 
change your life if you put your faith and trust in Him. Now, in all likelihood, somebody will say to you, let me ask you something, Buckner. Do you believe those miracles that happened in the Bible? Do you really believe that stuff? Don't, don't get sidetracked onto that because you can't prove that. There's no way you can prove that any of that happened. You, it, it wasn't experiential to you. You were not there. You didn't see it. You didn't hear it. So don't let anybody get you sidetracked. <laughs> Remind me of the story I've told you, I think, sometime in the past about a nun on a plane or train seated there was reading her Bible and a man sitting next to her and he noticed she was reading the Bible and he was a skeptic. And uh, he began to talk to the nun and ask her what she was reading. She said, I'm reading the Bible. And he said, well, do you believe that stuff in the Bible? She said, well, yes, as a matter of fact, I do. He said, you mean to tell me you believe that Jonah was swallowed by a big fish, a whale? And she said, uh, yes, sir, I believe that. The skeptic asked, well, how did he live those three days in the belly of that fish? And the nun said, well, I don't know. But when I get to heaven, I'll ask him. The skeptic said, well, what if he's not there? She said, then you can ask him. <laughs> you believe that God can deliver a man from a whale of problems? Don't try to prove Jonah experience. Tell about your own. Tell of the times he's delivered you and raised you up and rescued you. We're Jonas. We're not Jesus. We're out there to tell people what he's done for us. You mean to tell me, Buckner, that you believe that Jesus walked on the water and calmed the storm? I don't know. I can't prove that. Well, let me tell you what I can prove. He's walked on the waters of adversity in my life. He's calmed the storms of guilt in my spirit. If he can calm my storm, he can calm a storm on Galilee any day in the week. Prove to me, Buckner, that uh, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. I can't prove that. But let me tell you what I can prove. That he lifted me, and I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore. He lifted me, and if he could lift me out of the jaws of guilt and unbelief and disobedience, if he can do it for Buckner, he can do it for Lazarus every day of the week. Every day of the week. Jesus turned water to wine. Yeah, he turned water to wine. He can turn boredom into gladness. He can put a new spark in your life, a new tonic in your soul, a new reason for existence. Those miracles that Jesus performed during his earthly ministry, 
That was no big deal for him. I mean, he could have performed every one of those before breakfast any morning. They were all first and second grade stuff for Jesus. That's minor stuff. What Jesus came to do was to be the Ph.D. that would rescue all of us. The personal, holy deliverer who will lift all of us and transform our lives and through us change the Ninevehs of the world. So the invitation is an invitation to say, God, I've tried everything but you. I've trusted everybody but you. I've experimented with trying to be perfect, sinless, perfection. I've looked at history. I've listened to history. I've studied the past. I've watched for power. I've looked to the state to help save our problems. I've looked to preachers and politicians to work together to make a difference. None of them can do it. As a man said who came forward this morning making a decision, he said, I came to the end of my road. He said, I turned to Jesus after being away from God 15 years. So Jonah and I sat side by side down there. We compared notes. We hadn't been in the same whale, but we'd been in a whale of a problem. And God delivered us, and he'll do the same thing for you. If you trust him as your Savior, he'll prove to you that he will give you life here and hereafter. For whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Would you like to come be a part of a church that's full of Jonas? Not a perfect one in the crowd. Want to be a part of a bunch of Jonas that's just going to tell people what God's done for us? Not going to argue with people. Not going to fight with people. Not going to debate with people. Just say, I was blind, now I see. He's put a new life in me. And he'll do the same thing for you. Once you've experienced that, you won't have any trouble in the world dealing with Jonah and Lazarus and walking on the water. That's minor league stuff for the king of kings. If you want to come and rededicate your life, recommit your life to him, say, I really do, Buckner. I'm scared to death. I don't know how to talk to somebody. But don't try to talk to somebody. Just share with them what God's done to you. Don't preach to them. Just tell them what he's done for you. Come to rededicate your life. Maybe you want to kneel and pray and go back to your seat alone. You don't have to say anything to me. I will be here. Some of the staff will be here. So you want to join this church wherever you're coming from, you're welcome. It's for Jonah's. Jonah's. Jonah's only belong to this church. We invite you to come worship him. Trust him. I'll be right here to greet you. Prayerfully, respectfully, let's stand and sing. And you come.